Hello, this is Chris O'Regan, and you're listening to The Sausage Factory. It's episode 455 of The Sausage Factory. In this episode, I interview Noah Loney of Some Humble Onion and ask them about the design and development of their adventure game, Schmushy, Come Home. Fascinating chat with Noah. We talk about all sorts of things, ranging from Stardew Valley, Pikmin, and the concept of creating a non-violent game. Because... Yes, there's lots of conflict in video games generally, but Smushy Come Home is bereft of any real sense of antagonism. It's more about stress of being lost and confused and gaining some sense of purpose, some kind of focus. The focus being getting Smushy home. It's a lovely game, third person action-adventure, if you will. But it's definitely more adventure than action. But it doesn't detract from this level of entertainment value. And we do delve into that as well, of course. Constrictions on design is not a bad thing. In fact, it's encouraged. Being face of a blank canvas is somewhat intimidating. When you actually start putting borders and sizes on that canvas, then things bear fruit. So, let's listen to me, from the relatively recent past, talk to Noah about the creation of Shmushy Come Home. Chris, take it away. Hello, Noah. Hey, Chris. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Could you tell us who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So, my name's Noah Lone, but most know me as Some Humble Onion, which is my developer name. And uh, I'm an indie game developer and the creator of Smushy Come Home. You are indeed, which is why you're here. Yeah. So, could you tell us, how did you make your start making video games? That's a good question. Uh, it's it's a bit of an interesting story. Um, I went to college studying computer science, and uh, I did not enjoy it at all. I uh, just didn't really like programming, to be quite honest. But um, I, I kind of just powered through it. And in my last semester, I kind of got to dip my toes in game development a little bit in this uh, web programming class. We were given a project and it was like, hey, make a website and it can be whatever you want, just as long as it's coded in JavaScript. And I was like, okay, cool. It's my last semester in college. I'm going to do something fun. And uh, I decided to make a little game using JavaScript. It was like a little pixel art platformer, incredibly simple, but I absolutely fell in love with it. I fell in love with the coding and making all the art and just doing everything on my own. And that was kind of like 
my first experience with game development and shortly after making that project i graduated um and i kind of just went from there instead of like picking up more hours at my current internship i stayed part-time and i just focused on learning game development from there and yeah that that little that little project i made at web programming that little pixar platformer it really did just kind of set the path for me as a creator which you are could you tell us what are your biggest influences biggest influences honestly i i really wear those on my sleeve um definitely eric baroni is one of my biggest influencers he's the creator of stardew valley and he kind of showed me that hey you can make an entire game as one person it is doable in this day and age it's incredibly difficult but also incredibly rewarding um he i have quotes of him you know put up on my wall i used to watch his interviews all the time especially in the beginning of my journey and i really just adopted a lot of his philosophies he's just an amazing developer truly a humble man um but not just him also uh adam robinson you the developer of a short hike he uh, was just a big inspiration on the game itself but also just uh his approach to indie game development um again he's he's very casual about it and he really approaches it as just a regular human being a, a person who has this passion and hey if he makes money off of it he makes money off of it and that's cool but he gets to do what he loves and that was another really big inspiration for me as 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 a game developer um but he adam had a pretty heavy influence on the game as well smushy come home but yeah eric baroni adam robinson you two of my biggest game developer inspirations and uh of course uh shigeru miyamoto he's uh you know hey he's the guy the biggest one you know developer of mario but also um uh pikmin which is like my all-time favorite game series uh so i really look up to him as as just a creator as well but yeah those are probably my biggest inspirations so next question what video game developer do you admire most and why Definitely Eric Baroni. Yeah, he he would have to be just the most admirable person I can think of in the indie game industry because there he was, you know, graduating college, not finding any work, but he didn't really want to work in any of those jobs anyways, which was kind of how I was. And um you know, game development was more difficult back when he was working on Stardew Valley, you know, 2013, 2012. Game engines were still accessible. but they weren't as accessible as they are now and he chose to use you know the Microsoft XNA framework to make his game which is just you know really difficult to work with and he made no money for the four years four and a half years that he worked on Stardew Valley you know he had no the audience wasn't necessarily that big there was just no guarantee that he was going to have any success on this game but he worked himself to death on that game every day never took days off just truly a powerhouse and you know again he, he's just a regular guy and he he makes that known you know he's not some god in the industry or anything like that he's just a regular dude who loves making video games who loves creating things and he is incredibly disciplined and self-driven and i truly admire that about him i i really try to be the same way about my game and and my work and um I'm I'm really inspired by by him in that sense. But yeah, he is such an incredible man. I hope to meet him someday. 
So last question for the first half. Here we go. We are a video game podcast, so we're kind of obliged to ask this question. What are you playing right now? Oh, man. I am so uh, deep into the Pikmin 1 and 2 remasters on Switch. Just beat Pikmin 1. I have both the games on GameCube. Uh, like I'm, GameCube's like my favorite console. I, I really grew up on it. I mean, I grew up on PS1 and N64, but like GameCube was where my heart was as a kid. And uh, I'm, I just finished replaying Pikmin 1 remaster on the Switch, and I'm about like halfway through Pikmin 2 remaster. And, you know, I've been working on my game for two years and during that time i did not play any video games at all because i just didn't have the time so i finally have the time now to play video games and i've got this backlog of indie games that i've been incredibly excited to jump into and what do i do i hop in and i re-beat the games that i've beaten so many times that i've loved um but i haven't played pikmin in like three years or so so it's been a really fun replay um but aside from that, I am also finishing up some some indie titles on Steam, like Omori is one of them. Love that game. It's incredibly dark, but very real. And the writing and everything about it is just amazing. So I've been working to, or at least I'm, I'm trying to find some time after I beat Pikmin to uh, start playing Omori, but, or finish Omori, but that's that's really about it. My, I've, I've definitely been absorbed in Pikmin right now, especially with the Pikmin 4 hype going on definitely jumping on that as soon as it comes out it's a wonderful answer and i do wish you the best of luck in your future pikmin endeavors thank you and uh let's uh put a pause on part one and move on to part two where we shall be delving deep to smushy come home Good boy
So, question. All I can request, really, I can't delve deep into Smashy Come Home. Do we know what it is? So, if you could tell us, what do you believe Smashy Come Home is? It's, you know, it's coming from the creator. I, I feel like the game is a lot of things. Um, it's really just a, I guess at the core, it's a casual, open worldish, uh, non-violent exploration game. You know, you play as Smushy, who's just like a two-inch little mushroom. Smushy's like a little Pikmin, basically, and you're you're pretty much defenseless. You know, you're not, but you also don't have to fight anything in the world that you're dropped into. You're taken from your home. You're trying to find your way back to your family, your little mushroom family, and you're kind of just given these tools that will let you, you know, glide around, climb around the terrain. There's a little bit of puzzle solving. There's a little bit of platforming, but nothing too difficult. I kind of designed the game to be, you know, achievable and, uh, you know, people can hundred percent it no matter how much of a gamer they are. And um, yeah, it's, it's really just like a casual exploration game. That's, that's kind of the best way I think I can put it. An excellent description. I cannot embellish more on what you said. Thank you. <laughs> so here's the first design question. There's a free roaming camera. Will she come home? Because uh, it is a third person action adventure, everyone. And it's a relatively low vantage point because Smushy isn't terribly large. Mm-hmm. How have you found creating the environments, knowing the player can look pretty much anywhere in all directions? There's nothing to hide, really, to a point. What have you done to make sure that the player doesn't become disorientated or basically lost? That was one of the biggest uh, challenges with designing the game. Um, So, you know, that really came with all the level design. I had to kind of come up with different monuments, you know, points of interest uh, within the map that people could use to identify their location. And that is something that I learned just doesn't always work because there are so many different types of players. Some players are able to identify these landmarks that you create and build mental maps very easily, while others are just absolutely lost, even if you differentiate different areas quite well i think some of my levels are differentiated better than others um you know i I definitely think i could have done better with the level design on some parts maybe with some coloration changes and things but for the most part i think it's i think it's pretty readable but even then some players still have a difficult time with it and you know some people they they might see the goal they might see the thing you need to look for very easily and others kind of just walk right by it so it's it's very challenging when you've got this big open world view, you've got this third person camera that you can move everywhere and you can, you know, pretty much look at every single angle. You kind of have to create these points of interest within the map and really highlight them. You know, I try to highlight them with unique looking objects. You're in the forest and it's kind of overgrown. It's it's past the human um, you know, inhabitants humans are no longer there but you know there's kind of remnants here and there so i would use like man-made objects that kind of stood out a little bit more to point like hey look check this out there's something over here um it's a little bit higher up maybe you need to get a you need to walk on this big log that's clearly sticking out of the ground you know higher than others 
um, just, just doing little details like that actually go a really long way. And um, I even went so far as to adding little pebbles and things on on walls. And that would signify, hey, you should climb on this, go over to this point and climb on this wall here where these little pebbles are. And you might find a little something or you might be, I won't maybe necessarily guide you 100%, but it'll show you, hey, here's this new vantage point over here. Check that out. Oh, now you can see there's actually a cliff over here. I should glide over to that. Oh, look at that. There's a little you know, secret entrance here. So little things like that, little little details that are different enough from the base environment that help catch players' eyes. Um, I, I feel like I may have gone off on a little bit of a tangent there, but that's uh, that's that's basically it. That's really how I tried to nail the the level design and make it feel cohesive, but also understandable. And you know, still have some curiosity here and there. Like, oh, not everything is completely just shown to you. You do have to go look around in the little cracks and and nooks in the level. So yeah. So next question, uh, especially come home is a non-violent game. We established that earlier on. And um, with that, there are still problems to be solved, just not through destruction, well, limited destruction, which we talked about in the virtual green room before we started recording. But I just want to, can you talk us through the design of these these little puzzles? And I say little, some of them multi-layered. You have to do one thing, one thing, one thing. I mean, getting that blueberry, which not, it's not a spoiler, everyone, it's right at the end of the game. You've got to get yeah. those two blueberries. First one's not so bad. Second one, oh boy. <laughs> um, could you talk us through the design of these, these puzzles, knowing that you constrained yourself in it to being non-destructive, limited, and also not violent? Yeah, that was a, you know, it was a tricky part. Uh, definitely pulled a lot of inspiration from uh, Zelda games for that trying to because you know zelda does a really good job with making interesting puzzles that you know kind of make your head kind of make your brain think but they don't always all necessarily involve some fighting um so i i really took inspiration from that like wind waker breath of the wild and i tried to use the environment as well with the puzzles um so you know a, a lot of the puzzles are quite simple you're looking for something and you need to bring it back to something and maybe you need to match a color or maybe you need to match like a shape or a pattern. Um, that was kind of one of the general uh, designs around a lot of the puzzles, because again, you know, I can't, I can't really give you like a bow and arrow to shoot at something or, you know, things of that nature, basically. So I would kind of use these like match matching puzzles quite often, or, you know, somewhat of like a fetch quest kind of puzzle you need to bring this thing back over here to activate it so then you can you know use this uh new area to platform your way so i really tried to mix the light platforming with the light puzzle solving um but yeah it's it, it was difficult to balance and it was difficult to design around combat because uh hey I, I, I love combat games you know and and they do bring a really nice life to the gameplay you know they bring a lot of excitement so i really had to try and figure out how was i going to be able to do that without introducing oh this puzzle is going to have a boss fight at the end or there's a boss at the beginning you know or there's a new enemy to fight things like that you can show off your new ability i had to really think of different ways to still bring that kind of excitement and i think i was able to capture that by essentially just 
giving you really interesting levels to explore and pique your curiosity. You know, what's over here? What does this button do? Okay, it does this thing, but it doesn't really tell me what I need to do. Maybe I should go find another one. And I think that really helped engage the player without their needing to be constant hacking and slashing and throwing bombs, you know, even though there are bombs in the game. Um, but yeah, things of that nature, basically, you know, trying to keep the player engaged with the environment and not really holding your hand so much when it came to the puzzles. So next question. The only punitive aspect of Swishy Come Home, and there is one, it comes in the form of time spent. So the player will get to a platform or fail to do jump on a platform and then drop to the bottom of an area and have to come back, climbing back up again. And Oh, I know, I know, I know what I need to do. I've got this. I've got this. I can do this. I believe yep. in Smushy. I can do this. And then it happens again. And what do you believe that you've infused into Smushy Come Home? A sense of um, uh, endeavor, a sense of in- encouraging the player. This, this is a worthwhile thing to overcome. You will do this. You will see more of the world. You will get him home because that's what you're trying to Sorry, then them home i'm not sure what gender they are but you will get smushy you get you get them home and what you know what do you think you've done to infuse into the game to encourage the player to keep going it's it's really a mix of a lot of things um i think one of them would definitely be the writing uh i i spent a lot of time on the writing with this game and i tried to make it very fun casual goofy i took a lot of inspiration on the writing from adventure time just one of my favorite shows and it's it it can be very quirky and realistic but at the same time it can get quite serious and i tried to do the same thing with smushy i you know there are literally moments in the game where you'll talk with an npc and they will encourage you or smushy in that regard you know uh and and tell you you can do this you have to be brave and smushy as a character does develop over time in the game and will start telling other characters, hey, you need to be brave, you know, because Smushy's helping all these characters that are all having issues. And Smushy then takes on that role of being the brave little mushroom and it believes in itself. And I think it gives the player that sense that they can do it as well. And I would get quite a lot of feedback from that from people going, you know, I I really felt encouraged as I played this game because Smushy was so confident. You know, it, it was a little scared and timid from times, from time to time, but Smushy just always felt like it knew it was going to get home. And so I think the writing really helped push the player. And, you know, if, if players ever did struggle with the game, from what I had heard at least, they never rage quitted. It was always, you know, like they were happy to try again. And I think it's because Smushy gives off that vibe through through the writing and just through the character overall, people were really able to relate and get encouraged by this little mushroom. And I, I think that really, really helped people stay engaged because they really wanted to get this little character home. They really wanted to see Smushy meet their family. And, you know, and also just the game itself being, uh, I think, very rewarding. You know, there are little upgrades you can do here and there. And people were really seeking those out because they felt it was quite balanced with the pacing of the game you know you get an upgrade for your glider you get an upgrade for your hooks 
you can sprint longer now. Maybe you haven't even up unlocked the sprint ability yet. Now you did. You know, things things like that. People were constantly wanting to push forward and keep going and see what was on the other end. You know, oh, there were some people that were also really into uh, collecting the skins in the game. There's quite a bit of optional content. Since the game is very casual, I tried to really make some of the more difficult things kind of optional. And people really enjoyed that difficulty and they enjoyed collecting the skins and they wanted to see what new mushroom caps could I discover or what new mushrooms could I learn about, which was something I didn't really uh, touch on earlier. But, you know, there's the mycology journal in the game, which lets you learn about real life mushrooms. And people wanted to keep exploring and see what's the next mushroom I'm going to learn about because it's a real one. This actually exists in our world and it's 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 factual. And I don't think enough games really do that not that it's a bad thing you know obviously because most games are fantasy so you can't really do that kind of thing but um yeah that's it's it's really a mix of a lot of things but i think the biggest one is just smushy uh as a character it's just very encouraging yeah all of the above everyone that's why i <laughs> kept on kept on going um so last question then I want to talk about the sound design now. Um, it's very reactive. Mm-hmm. Could you talk about how you went to you know, achieve this? And what was what were the things you've done and what, what could you pass on to others to say, do this, this worked. But mm-hmm. it's just really, really effective. It does a wonderful job of really feeling, making you feel immersed in Shmushi's little world, or not so little as the more you play it. It's far <laughs> from small, everyone. It keeps going. Anyway, <laughs> yeah, no, that's a good question. Yeah, it, it just it just to clarify. Mm-hmm. So that's the one thing I did not make in the game. So I had a, I had a musician, I had a composer. Um, he he made the whole soundtrack. Um, and he did a couple of the jingles here and there. And then I would create I created all the other sound effects, and I created like the uh, the background environment sound effects. You know, the cicadas and things like that. Um, but he did an, a fantastic job. His name is Fail Positive. He did a fantastic job with the soundtrack, and it truly tied together every single level. Um, I would be working on a level, and I'd, I'd feel like it's absolute crap, and I'd be like, oh, this isn't coming together. And then he'd be like, hey, I got the song done. And I'd implement the song into the level, and I'd be like, wow, you know what? This is this is a good level. So it, it truly did immerse the player. And I think um, one of the ways we did that was we used a kind of um, dynamic soundtrack. So he would break up the entire song into eight different uh, layers, each one for an instrument. You know, we would have a whole track of the first level song for strings, then for flutes, you know, wood wood instruments, uh, or sorry, wind instruments, um, things of that nature, basically, drums, percussion, all that, all be their own separate layers. And as you're progressing through the level, the layers will change up, but it's still the same song. So that also kind of helps you get a sense of where you are in the level by using a sort of musical map that's being developed. Um, but yeah, more so just to, to keep the, the area from feeling fresh from the song, not getting repetitive. Uh, and by just, you know, kind of changing here and there. And I would highly recommend this approach to, to other people's games, making this sort of dynamic soundtrack because it really does help uh, just kind of impact small parts of the game for example when smushy pulls out its glider the strings start to play and it just kind of adds a little nice flair to that whole mechanic you 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 feel like you're gliding because all of a sudden you're healing the, you're hearing these you know 
brief little strokes of a violin or something like that and it just it's just a nice little touch and i i think that in video games music just goes so well with whatever the action is you know having that extra layer of auditory feedback is so immersive and i i I highly do recommend it it's a bit tricky to develop and i uh, my musician he even you know admits he's like this was it's definitely one of the more difficult sound checks to create when you're going dynamic because you have to make sure all the uh, instruments work together um, and the song still has to loop. And, you know, it, the song has to sound good if you just want to use two out of the eight instrument tracks that you have. So it's it's very tricky. And it's also difficult to implement as well in the code. I used a software called FMOD. Um, so that was basically like a, a digital audio workstation for Unity. I think they also have it for Unreal. And fantastic, fantastic uh, audio workstation. And it allowed us to create these songs in these different um, in these different instrument tracks. And we could just flip between them in the code, basically, and slowly pan one instrument out and one instrument in as you would go into a new area and just continue to immerse the player and feel that change of, oh, I'm in a new level. A little title card pops up, and also the song is changing a little bit. So it's just a nice little extra element added to the exploration. Um, highly, I highly recommend it, though. Again, difficult to pull off, but beautiful outcome if you can do it. Swishy Come Home has been developed by Some Humble Onion. Sorry for me stumbling over that, but I just marvel at that name. Where does it come from? <laughs> People ask me that a lot. Yeah. Um, the, the some humble part just kind of flowed as I was coming up with the name, but the onion part uh, is kind of like a, my tribute to Pikmin because the Pikmin basically live and fly around in these ships called onions. Um, and then also Captain Olimar calls the Pikmin when they're coming out, they call them little onions. So I, it was just kind of like something a little fun. You know, I wanted to kind of put a little Pikmin reference in my developer name since I'm such a huge Pikmin nerd. Um, and the some humble part, I was like, I don't know, it just it just kind of flows. I don't know, not not a super deep meaning behind it. No, it's cool. Just love asking that question of guests. So have a variety of stories about where the name of their studios or where are they, the name of their companies, where they come from. It's quite interesting. Mm-hmm. And it's um, published by Moonline Publishing. And uh, what platforms is it currently available on? Uh, it's on Switch for Steam, or sorry, uh, it's, it's it's on the Nintendo Switch, and then it's on Steam for Mac and PC. Thank you for that clarification. Uh, <laughs> many guests to say it's on Steam, and I have to nudge it out of them. Yeah, I know which get which. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to specify. There, you got to give some love to the Mac players out there. You do well. Them, you know, but... speaking as one as a, a Mac uh, laptop owner, I can. It, certainly do, do appreciate the support so thank you no it's been wonderful having you on the show genuinely has you've been a great guest and uh more than welcome to come back to talk about whatever's next cooking in your brain uh probably a beat-em-up after this i don't know and, <laughs> or cart racing beat-em-up there you go that's the, the <laughs> Then they do that as Road Rash. There you go. You're making Road Rash. But yeah, there um go. there you go. Figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> but um until then, thank you very, very much. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You have been listening to the Sausage Factory Podcast, part of the Cane and Rinse Collective. 
Support us for just two US dollars per month at patreon.com forward slash Kane and Rince for early, extended and exclusive podcasts. Find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Twitch, YouTube and at our website, caneandrince.com. 